<laughs> you know, we're, we're already in it. We're already in this word. So again, I just want to keep going. You know, if you've been with us the last few months, then you know that we've been driving home some really important biblical themes, really important uh, areas of discipleship and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Right? We've been talking about service. We've been talking about sacrifice. We've been talking about generosity. We've been talking about hard work. We've been talking about obedience. Right? I mean, when, we, when we looked at the, the book of Nehemiah, what was the message? The message was, look what happens when people are willing to set aside their fears, set aside their, their personal preferences, be willing to be abundantly generous, joyfully generous, work hard, face challenges, overcome uh, threats for the sake of the kingdom of God. And what happens? God blesses. God does all these amazing things. And a city that was open to attack, a city that was susceptible to, to being overtaken by an enemy, becomes strong and proud once more. And it is an example and is a powerful example of the presence of God on earth. And so you might think after a, se- a season of that, that what we're asking everyone to do is try harder. Right? And I think if we just have that message alone, you know, these are good things. Hard work, obedience, faithfulness, generosity, sacrifice. These are all good things. These are all values that I think a lot of times in our culture, they are either discarded or they're taken to some weird extremes. Like hard work is, is the, the tech startup company where they work, you know, I don't know how many hours are in a week. Does anyone know? A hundred and something. They work 90 of them, right? You know, that's what hard work looks like. And you can achieve your goals if you're willing to kill yourself trying to make them happen. You know, that, it's, it's this distortion or things like um, sacrifice are scorned, you know, mocked even, to the point where, you know, there are some in our culture who, who look down upon anyone who serves in the military because they think, why would you do that for this country? Why would you do that? Why would you sacrifice yourself for that? You should be out for yourself, right? Not out for others, out for yourself. And these things, they get twisted and, and they get, or, or, or again, skewed and, and perverted into something that they were never meant to be. But even these good things, they can become shackles for your spirit, shackles for your soul, shackles for your heart. They can become that try harder mentality that we just talked about that can just leave you kind of defeated and discouraged, filled with shame and guilt because you haven't been enough of X, Y, or Z, right? How many people have shared the gospel enough? How many people have served enough? Who here has given financially enough, right? And you think, well, I'll never be able to be enough. I'll never be able to be enough for my church, I'll never be able to be enough for my family. I'll never be able to be enough for God. 
And you know, here we are in this particular place in time, and a couple of weeks ago I said, I feel like this is a pregnant moment. You know, potentially, like things are starting to, to get a little wacky again, but it seems like we're coming out of this pandemic. You know, on some level, you know, who knows, right? But if we are, uh, then as a church, we're looking at how do we rebuild after what wasn't a rest or a break for 18 months? My goodness. Does anyone feel more rested now than they did 18 months ago? I mean, it's almost a joke to say that we, you know, everything took a break for 18 months because it didn't. In some ways, it was accentuated and accelerated, but we just felt helpless to do anything about it, right? But there are important things that need to be done. We need to rebuild. Um, We have a calling from God to minister to children. Children, some who are here today, some who are not, but we need to rebuild that ministry to children. And praise be to God, we have a lot of people who have stepped up and say, I'm willing to help. It's amazing. It's wonderful. Um, We need to recreate a youth ministry. Our our youth ministers have moved. (laughs) You know, and we talked to Josh and Amanda recently. And it was a it was great conversation. They're they're uh, still trying to figure everything out. But you know what? We need to continue to minister to the teens that we have here in this congregation. Um, we need to reach this community, a community that in some ways we've been closed off from for about a year and a half. But I believe there are hearts that are prepped by the Holy Spirit and prepped by the circumstance of our moment to hear the gospel in a new way. And we need to reach them. We need to share the hope and the love and the grace of God with them, the joy of Christ with them, in a way that they're more willing to hear now than maybe they've ever been in their lives. And so, again, this is it's like being mobilized, being active, being, uh, uh, you know, serving, giving, all these things. But I do wonder if after these 18 months where many of us feel more tired than we were when this thing started, what will that do to our hearts? What will that do to our lives if we feel like we can never give enough, can never be enough? But as I said, that's just part of the story. It's just half of it. Because that's just a recipe for burnout. It's just a recipe for failure to think like that. But what Jesus does is he gives the counterbalance to this reality. He, what he's not saying is, oh, you don't need to be obedient. You don't need to be generous. You don't need to sacrifice. You don't need to work. But what he says is there's a way to do that that's different from what you've been trying. And there's a way that you can do that that's different from the way the world sees it. And what I want to tell you today is, it's pro- for most of you, it's a way you've already heard But for most of us, it's a way we have rarely actually done. I think most of us have a hard time really believing what Jesus says here. And so I want to read to you from John 15. If you have your Bibles, open up to John 15, verse 1. This is one of those famous passages, but it's going to be good to have it in front of you. There should be a Bible underneath one of your chairs or a chair in front of you. You can grab it. And open up to John 15, 1.
you there? John 15, 1. So in John 15, Jesus uh, shares this, it's really kind of a metaphor about who he is, about who we are, about who God the Father is. And it's a very famous passage. You'll probably recognize it. He says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. I just want to stop right there. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. What is Jesus talking about? We're not going to flip through the Scripture today. If you want references, email me. I'll send them to you. But throughout the Old Testament, what we see is that God talks about Israel being the vine. Israel is the vine of God, and it has these branches. But what we see in the Old Testament over and over is that when Israel being the vine shows up, is that the vine continues to fail to be a life-giving vine. It's almost like, uh, you know how also in the Old Testament, God calls Israel his son. But he's the son who continues to fail to be a faithful son to the Father. And so just as Jesus comes as the true son of God, Jesus comes as the true vine, the true vine of the kingdom of God. And what is a vine? But it is simply this. It is the source of life for the branches. It's that which gives the branches uh, uh, foundation. It's that which gives them nutrients. And it's that which ultimately produces the fruit in the branches. And Jesus says, I'm the true vine. In the Old Testament, the vine of Israel gets cut down and cast into the flames. Jesus says, I'm not like that vine. I'm a different kind of vine. I'm a faithful vine. I'm a good vine. He's a sinless vine. He's a righteous vine. And he says, my father is the gardener. And what does his father do? Well, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. And you might read that and you think, wait a second, it sounds like whether I do the right thing or do the wrong thing, God's out there with the clippers. He's cutting. The gardener's out cutting. And, and you might think, I don't like this metaphor. Because it sounds like whether I'm bearing fruit or not, God's going to cut me. And I want to give you an encouraging word. You're right, but it's for your good. And we've talked about this before. We know that whether it's because of sin in the world or whether it's because of our frailty, uh, being you know, what we are, for whatever reason, pain and hardship often are the things that God uses to produce righteousness in us. Hebrews 12 tells us that, the, that God disciplines those he loves and that we should endure all hardship as discipline. No one enjoys discipline at the time, but it produces a harvest of righteousness in those who are trained by it. And that if you're not disciplined, then you're not loved by the Father. So the branches that don't bear fruit, and by the way, these are not necessarily, these are not what we would call unbelievers. These are, it says, every branch in me. Every branch in me. 
These are people who are in Christ, but they're not bearing fruit. The Father cuts them off and casts them aside. Later in the verse, later in the passage, it says, the branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. That's verse 6. So God is cutting off branches that are not bearing fruit, and he throws them in the fire. We actually see allusion to this same concept in Romans, I believe it's chapter 11, where Paul talks about um, uh, uh, wild, wild branches being grafted on uh, to, to, to the plant that is Christ. It's these you know, Gentiles, essentially, and that many of the Jews who rejected Christ are cut off and they're cast aside. So this imagery is used multiple times in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. He says, if you don't bear fruit, you're cut off, you're cast aside, you're thrown in the fire. But if you do bear fruit, you're still going to get cut, but you're going to get cut so that you bear more fruit. Now, I've been able to witness something like this in our garden. So Sonia loves uh, flowers and plants, and uh, she, I guess, I don't know if you have a green thumb, but you're, you're insistent. That's what I'll say about her. And she will learn and she will figure out and find out what's going on with these plants to make sure that they're healthy and that they live. And she will nurse, uh, she will nurse a plant that looks like it's dying. And we had this one plant that it was just grotesque. Everything on it was dead except for one little twig. And we had that one little twig for like another 12 months because she just nursed that thing. And that one twig was very vibrant, even though the whole rest of the plant was dead. And we have a neighbor across the street. His name's John. He has a landscaping company. And I'll say, hey, John, what do we do about this? He's like, you throw that away and you buy a new one. <laughs> but no, Sonia's tender and she's, she's insistent that, no, it's not dead yet. It's not dead yet. And she keeps it alive. But she also does this wonderful thing where, you know how the flowers die on the, you know, on the plant and she just tears them off and a new one grows. And I, this may sound silly, but the first time she did that, I was like, what? I thought they flower, and then they just are ugly for the rest of the year. She's like, no, you just tear off the one that's dead, and a new one grows. And the same, like, we have basil, and she's always, last, yes, last night we were plucking those basil to make sure they keep growing. And it's amazing how tearing a plant apart is sometimes the very best thing you can do for it in terms of fruitfulness amazing you know some plants need to be shorn down almost to the ground every year so that they can be healthy the next year some plants just need to have a little bit cut off here and there so they can remain healthy and what jesus is saying is look church if you're in me you're one of those branches you're going to be cut in a way that leads to fruitfulness or you're going to be a cut in a way that leads to death So how do you know which one you're going to be? Well, are you bearing fruit? Now we get into a little sticky question. And we say, Pastor, how much fruit is enough fruit? Enough that you don't get thrown in the fire. I have no idea what that means. I have no idea what it looks like. But I do think that our father is a gardener more like Sonia than he is like John. If there's a little bit of fruit, if there's one little twig that's alive, he will nurture you. And he will prune you, and he will work on you. John just throws you in the garbage. (laughs) If he ever finds out I'm using him as a sermon illustration, Beth, what do you think? (laughs) Yeah. 
<laughs> he'll, he'll laugh. So, um, just enough. But here's the thing. He won't leave you at just enough. He will keep pruning you until you are flourishing. Now, the analogy may fall apart a little bit here, but I wonder, is it possible that when the gardener is coming in to cut, if some of those branches might go like that and like that and like that to avoid the snipping? And this is why I said earlier, I think a lot of what faithfulness looks like for a believer is learning to submit, learning to trust, let go, to yield. Jesus doesn't say, if you're not fruitful, you need to get to work. He says, if you're not fruitful, a pruning is coming. Or if you're not fruitful enough, a pruning is coming. Being pruned is a very passive thing, isn't it? Yeah. So Jesus goes on, and he talks about, uh, just so you know, prune and clean, same word in the Greek. Uh, So there's a little pun going on here. John's using a pun, or Jesus is using a pun. He says every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, so that even more will be even more fruitful. And you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Like, you're already pruned. You've already been cleaned by my words. The words I've spoken to you. What are these words? These are the words of the gospel, the words of salvation, the words of faith, the words of forgiveness, the words of trust in Jesus. That he is the one, the Savior that was to come. The one they've been looking for. So they've already been made clean. They've already been pruned. And he says this, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. That is, first of all, if you were, you know, one of Jesus' disciples and you've been walking with him for about three years, this is right before Jesus dies, right before the Garden of Gethsemane where they go out and pray and all the disciples fall asleep. This is right before Jesus is betrayed by Judas. This is right before the cross and, of course, before the resurrection. And you're one of Jesus' disciples. You're in Jerusalem for the Passover. Jesus starts saying this stuff. He starts talking about how he's the vine, the true vine, not like Israel. They've had their trust in the nation of Israel their whole lives, in the the relationship Israel has with God. And now Jesus comes in and he says, wait, I'm the real Israel. Right? And then not only that, but my father is a gardener and he's going to cut you, but for your good. The first way he has cut you and cleaned you is that you listen to my words and you believe them. So now all their life, they've grown up believing they had a relationship with God in one way. And Jesus is saying, no, you have a relationship with God in a different way, and it's through me. And only that, if you don't remain in me, you cannot do anything good. There's nothing that God will honor that you can do if you don't remain in me. Okay? Jesus is basically saying, everything that you've grown up with, about your understanding of how to relate to God, how to be faithful in this world, how to be righteous, how to be acceptable, how to be holy. 
Everything that you've grown up with was wrong. Not totally wrong, but it was wrong because it was all meant to point to me, and now I'm here, and so you can't rely on the, the signpost anymore. You've got to actually come to the place. You've got to actually come to where the signposts were pointing all along. And Jesus says, that's me. Now here's the thing. We can kind of look back historically and say, oh, yeah, okay, so before Jesus came, the Jewish people didn't know what that was going to look like until he came. And he surprised everybody. But here's the thing. If we probably are being really honest with ourselves, most of our Christian life, whether we were taught it or not, and sometimes we're taught it, sometimes we are actively taught these things, and sometimes we kind of uh, we hear the right thing, but we take it in the wrong way. You know what I'm talking about? But we're basically taught, I mean, I've, I've heard this taught, if you want God to really love you, you need to be obedient. If you want to be a good Christian, whatever in the world that means, if you want to be a good Christian, then you need to do X, Y, Z. And if you're not doing those things, then it's probably because you're not trying hard enough. You're either not praying enough or you're not reading your Bible enough. And if you did that, then these things would happen. And then you do those things and they still don't happen. And I bet there are some of you in this room that have even gone as far as to question your own salvation simply because you could not live up to the standard that either you set for yourself or some pastor or church set for you or that you thought someone was setting for you. Because I'll say this, I've never taught that here, but I'm sure you've heard that here. Because that's what we hear. That's what we hear. Now, why is that? I think it's because of this. I'm not going to get too far into this, but there is within us this thing called a sinful nature, right? And Paul talks about this in Romans 6 and 7. He says, whenever the law comes, which is good, my sinful nature turns it into something bad. It turns it into this thing that brings guilt and shame and not enough. But when God gave it, it was good, right? There's something in us the broken part of us that hears a message of grace and wants to turn it into a message of works. It's by grace that I'm saved, but now that I'm saved, I better work hard. And there are so many places in the Bible where this idea is being taught against, and yet we still fall into it. I do it, you do it, we all do it. Jesus says, remain in me as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Now, why is it that a branch can't bear fruit if it doesn't remain in the vine? So think in the natural for a moment. Why can't a branch bear fruit if it's not attached to the vine? There's no nutrients. It's cut off. There's no roots. So it's, it's, not, getting, it's not getting nutrients not getting water, right? And it has no foundation. Yeah, it's totally separated. Now, there are those wonderful little plants that you can break off a twig and stick it in a glass of water and they start growing, right? But not everything can do that. And we can't do that. So Jesus says, just like the branch, you cannot bear fruit unless you remain in me. 
So I think there's kind of three basic things that Jesus provides us as our vine. Um, one, he, he leads us. Two, he empowers us. And three, he nourishes us. Now let's take a minute on each one of those. I'm going to be quick here. The vine, if you think about it in the natural and the branch, the vine is what essentially maneuvers the branch into the place that it's in, Right? You can't move the branch without moving the vine unless you cut it off, right? So there is, I don't know if you've ever seen vines, like, like grape vines. My grandfather growing up in his backyard, he had grape vines. And I was fascinated by the grape vines. And sometimes playing hide and seek, I would hide in the grape vines. And um, I, I used to really enjoy looking at them from, from below, like, you know, lay on the ground and kind of look up and kind of see. And they just snake through and... They would, uh, they would actually, like in his case, they would go through the f- fence into the neighbor's side, you know, on the other side. They, they would go around the, the poles, and he had these, it's probably like a clothesline that he had, and they would go around the clothesline, and it's just fascinating to watch. But they could only go somewhere where the vine took them, if that makes sense. And so, you know, I almost think about it like this. Uh, there is if you would call it like maybe a range of, of, of godly behaviors, a range of outcomes for your life that God is delighted in. And if we separate ourselves from the vine, we can very easily get very far away from where God wants us to be, right? And I think some of us, not all of us, some of us worry very much whenever we make a decision, is this God's will for my life? And when you're attached to the vine, what that does is it kind of sets the parameters like, Maybe, maybe God's giving you some choices, but they're within this realm. They're within this space. And the vine sets, you know, how far you can go, if you will. That may be stretching the metaphor a little bit, but we see multiple times in the Scripture this idea of God wants to lead us. He wants to direct us. Not in every single choice necessarily. We don't always get leading. Leading but enough so that we stay within the realm of what God delights in for us and for our life. And we know that the Holy Spirit is part of this process. The Holy Spirit's convicting us of sin. That's a parameter. The Holy Spirit is guiding our steps. That's a parameter, right? And so Jesus says, first of all, you need to be led by me. Second thing is you need to be nourished by me, right? If you want to be able to live this kind of life and not fall a victim to burnout and destroyed relationships and, and, you know, all these things like just trying so hard and never being able to succeed, then you need to be nourished by Christ. Well, what does it mean to be nourished by Christ? Well, part of it is, you know, I believe that, that Jesus is literally, he can give you energy. He can give you, and we're going to talk about power in a minute, but he can literally kind of buoy you up. And, you know, there are times when, there are times when I'm really exhausted stepping up here, for example. And it's not just about church work, okay? This is just an example that's easy for me because it's the life I'm in. But it could be your being at home or and needing to have that, that last difficult conversation with one of your kids or that last difficult conversation with one of your parents. Or it could be when you're at work, or it can be when you're encountering someone who is, seems open to the gospel and you kind of want to know, like, oh, like, I don't think I can do this. And then you feel this kind of lifting up, 
And, you know, you might think it's adrenaline, but I'll tell you, I've, I've experienced running on adrenaline, and I've experienced running on Jesus Christ. And they might feel similar in the moment, but they feel very different afterwards. You know what I'm talking about? When you're done with the adrenaline, you collapse. When you're done with Christ, you're like, all right, where, what are we going for lunch? You know, it's just a different thing. So the vine nourishes the branches, and Jesus wants to nourish us. And the other way that he nourishes us is that, is that he reminds us who we are in him. And that's a type of nourishing. He reminds us of our identity. You know, one of the most important things that, that you can run on is your true identity in Christ. Does that make sense? If you're trying to uh, change a behavior or you're trying to overcome a challenge in life, or you're trying to, uh, you know, whatever it is that you're, that you're working on in your life. If you try to do it in your own energy and your own strength, you will make progress until you don't. Okay? You will make progress until you don't. You will run out. You will run out of resources. Because there's a way of seeing, you know, some people approach these things with bombast and, you know, uh, positive declarations and all these things that can get you somewhere, uh, some confidence, um, and maybe you can amass resources, maybe you're skilled at doing that, and that can get you somewhere. But at some point, you'll run out because you're finite, because you're limited. But when you find your identity fully in Christ... And in his strength and his power and who he is, he never runs out. And so you have an unending source of nourishment and supply. And then finally, he empowers us. And this is what I mean by this is a little different from nourishment. But I mean, it's kind of like it's one thing to have the energy to keep going. Uh, It's another, you know, like... um, I think of, we've been watching the Olympics. Maybe anyone's been watching the Olympics. And um, I love, what was that? Oh, (laughs) I thought it came out of the microphone. That's so funny. Evan, you have a powerful voice, my friend. (laughs) I was so startled. Been watching the Olympics, and I really like the endurance events. I love the marathon, the biking, you know, these endurance events. Um, and I think of the nourishment like kind of keeping going, right? You keep going, and you kind of plod along, and you don't, you don't give up. And that's really important in, in life and in faith. But the empowerment is like those quick events. And I, and I was reading about the, the divers. You guys know how the divers, they, they go up there, they dive into the water, they get out of the water, they go to the shower, they get under the water, and then they dry themselves off. And the article was about, why do they do that? And the answer was, well, the water in the pool is cold. So they get out, and they take a hot shower, and then they dry off so their muscles stay warm. Because in diving, it only takes like a second and a half. High-twitch muscle fibers, everything's got to be loose and operating when it needs to operate. Unlike a marathoner, if you have a muscle that's cold, after about a minute, it's not cold. And for the next two hours, you're good. It's just a very different process. So the power is like the thing you need in the moment to overcome, to face a challenge, 
to, to fight the enemy. And Jesus gives you that too. So it's the, it's the leading, it's the nourishment, and it's the power. So here's a little diagnostic tool for you to take home today. Because I want to make this really practical. Because this is kind of like, all right, very abstract, vines, branches, nourishment, identity, you know, fast twitch muscle fibers, whatever that has to do with Jesus, right? What can I take home? Here it is. If today you feel like you're striving and you're just barely making it, then you're not walking the way of Jesus. Okay? So that's a diagnostic. If you feel like you're striving and you can barely keep up, that's not what Jesus intended for you. Okay? If you're feeling bruised and beaten and you're about to fall on the side of the road, that's not what Jesus wants. Okay? You know, in Matthew 11, uh, Jesus says, you know, come to me all who are tired and heavy laden. I'm going to read that for you. Matthew 11, uh, 28. Uh, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, different translation, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And it may be that you look at these things that we've been talking about over the last few months or looking at the things we're saying, this is coming and we need to be ready to work hard. And you may be thinking, well, that doesn't sound like rest. And I'll, I'll agree with you. Outside of Christ, that is not restful. But there's something about doing things in Christ that just has a different quality. And here's the great thing about doing things in Christ is that when you're being led by Christ, you're also being told and led and, and, and um, alerted when you need to stop. I love it when Jesus is ministering to crowds you know, and then he's like, he's like healing people and, you know, they're, they're bringing the lame and the sick and the blind. He's like touching them and healing them. He's like, all right, I'm going to get in a boat now and I'm going to go across the lake. And you think, well, what about all those poor guys who are still there laying on the ground with no, haven't been healed yet? And Jesus is like, well, I'm done. And I'm going across the lake. And by the way, I'm going to take a nap even though a storm is coming. And you guys are going to be afraid for your life, but I'm sleeping because you know what? I'm tired, so I'm going to rest now. And I think that most of us would feel so guilty doing something like that. If we were there to serve people and not everyone got served and we needed a nap, we would say, oh, I just need to put myself aside and keep serving these people. Right? Wouldn't most of us do that? That's right. Jesus is, Jesus is totally different. He's just got this totally different mentality. He's like, all right, nap time. It's nap time. Who does that? No one except Jesus or people who are led by Jesus. Not only that, but one of the most powerful things that I've learned to pray in the morning, I, I was really... Um, I remember learning this idea of, Jesus, what do you want me to do today? And I've kind of learned a better way to pray that, I think, which is, Jesus, how do you want me to partner with what you're doing today? I think that's a really good prayer. 
But I remember the first time someone said, you know, you should also pray, Jesus, what do you want me to take off of my schedule today? Is there anything you want me to not do today that I'm planning to do? And honestly, for years, I didn't pray that prayer because I thought, that's, that's baloney. I can't take anything off this schedule. Everything on here I need to do. And so if Jesus is telling me not to do this, then that's not Jesus. That was my mentality. Have any of you felt like that in your life? Like, there's no way I can get off this treadmill, because if I get off this treadmill, everything will fall apart. And so what you find is that one of the ways Jesus leads you is that he, he actually will alert you to things that you don't need to be doing, and your fear that everything will fall apart, the answer to that fear is Jesus, who says, I'm the only one that's holding anything together. Don't think so much of yourself. Release yourself to my leadership. Trust me enough that your world won't fall apart if you don't do the thing that I'm telling you not to do. Now, if you find that your world is falling apart and your excuse is, well, Jesus told me not to, then get some feedback from the trusted advisor because maybe that's not Jesus. But if you find that things are not falling apart and actually you're a healthier person as a result, hey, maybe that's Jesus. Maybe that's something. You know, I love that he says, um, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And you know what a yoke is, right? It's one of those things you put on the shoulder of a, of a of an work animal to like pull a plow or, you know, whatever it is. And you think, well, Jesus isn't saying you're not going to do work. He's saying you're going to do a different kind of work that's light. And this is not in the text or anything, but I just wonder, I'm just curious, could Jesus possibly have had in mind one of those yokes that goes on two animals and that he's saying that his yoke is the yoke that you share with him so that you're always doing the work together so by definition it's always going to be light for you because Jesus is the one that does all the heavy lifting? To me, that's a, I don't know. I can't say that's what he's doing there, but I wonder what if Jesus is not, again, not just asking, not just telling me what I need to do, but telling me what he wants to partner with me on? It just changes everything. I, I liken it to the, when the girls were little, we'd have them help with the groceries, bring in the groceries. So we have all these big bags of groceries, and they would take the light ones, right? Like the one with the paper towels. Just the one paper towel, they take that in. You know, and I've got like the milk and the canned tomatoes and everything. But sometimes they would want to help me with the big stuff. Well, how does a little kid help their dad with the big stuff? Well, the dad carries it and they put their hand there and they're like, I'm helping. <laughs> are they helping? No. Yeah, they are. Who's lifting it? Daddy. I think that's what Jesus is talking about. He's like, you're going to do the work. You're going to do the work, but I'm going to do the work. You don't have to be carrying a heavy load. So if you're striving, you're not walking the way of Jesus. And what it really boils down to at the end of the day, this may surprise some of you. What is, what is the Christian life all about? Is it about obedience? Is it about um, holiness? Is it about worshiping the Lord? Is it, you know, what is it about? At the end of the day, the Bible tells us that this whole thing is about faith. 
about trusting the Lord, right? Salvation comes by faith, not by works, right? If we trust Jesus, we can live like this, this way I'm describing. If we don't, we will, by definition, take everything on ourselves. We'll have to. Because if we don't trust Jesus, we'll think we have to make it happen. You know, I would say, like, every time, I mean, this is like across the gamut. Every time we sin, it's because we thought, well, that commandment God gave is good for everyone else, but it's not good for me right now. We don't trust him. Every time we try to take everything on our own, well, if I don't do the work, everything's going to fall apart because Jesus isn't going to keep it all together, right? Every time we, you know, you could just go down the list of things that either are wrong or hurtful or whatever they are to you or tiring or whatever. And you say, at the end of the day, I just didn't trust Jesus to do it. I didn't trust Jesus to be there for me. I didn't trust God's word. I didn't trust, didn't trust, didn't trust. Now, here's the thing. That, that could turn into a new work. Oh, you're not trusting enough. Try harder. It's not about that. It's still not. If you're not trusting enough, let go more. Don't try harder. Try less. You know, I was having breakfast with Paul yesterday, and we were talking about some things that related to this. I said, hey, I'm talking about this, and it's not about you. But then he said something. I'm like, well, that's going to be you, because I stole this thing from him. I loved it. And he said... Um, what I need more than anything is this perspective of God that he is for me. And once that happens, it's like someone knocked the dam loose. Just imagine like a river that's backed up and the water is pulling up and it's because, and, and the thing that's stopping everything good from being just let loose in your life is that at the end of the day, you don't really believe that God's for you. Or you don't believe he's powerful enough. Or you don't believe he's wise enough. Whatever it is. And then you get this perspective of God, and all of a sudden it's like, the dams knock loose, the water flows, the blessing comes. But you can't knock the dam loose. Okay? You can't work your way into working less. You can't strive more into trusting more. All you can do is say, you know what? I can't do this, Lord, but you can. I can't do it, but you can. I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. You remember that phrase? What a powerful phrase that is. I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. Not, I believe, Lord, but I don't believe enough, so don't worry, I'm going to try harder. Would you just heal me in the meantime? No. I believe, help my unbelief, I trust you enough that you're going to take care of me not trusting you enough. Mustard seed of faith, anyone? Just a little mustard seed of faith. Just enough faith to say, Lord, I'm going to stop being the one that's responsible for my trust. I'm going to trust you enough to be responsible for my trust. I'm going to believe you enough to be responsible for my belief. And then another passage that we talked about yesterday is, Uh, where uh, Paul tells us to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is the Lord who works in you to will and to act according to his good purposes. I'm going to say that again. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Here's the work. 
for it is the Lord who works in you to will and to act according to his good purposes. So what is the work of working out your salvation? On one level, it's acknowledging that it's the Lord who's got to work in you to make it happen. And so what you become as a believer is more, less, less of a machine that gets things done and more of a conduit through which God's power flows. It's a letting go. It's a releasing. Is there a lot of work we need to do? Yes. There's a lot of work we need to do. Is that work going to kill us? It can. It can if we try to do it all and try to do it in our strength. But if we partner with what Jesus is doing and we let him do the heavy lifting and we release ourselves to say, God, what do you want me to do with you today? And what do you want me to not do? And when do you want me to stop? Then we may just find that instead of it being a tiring experience, this work, it's actually an invigorating experience. Does anyone in here exercise? You don't have to raise your hand or not. Does anyone run? I run. I ran. I, I jog now. I used to run when I was younger. I ran. Now I jog. Um, sometimes I have gone on a run for what I would consider an ungodly number of miles. And I get done and I feel fantastic. You ever had that experience? The kind of work that makes you more energetic at the end. Now, why was that running more energetic than mowing the lawn? Well, I think part of it is about perspective. I think part of it is like, you know, are you enjoying it or not? But I also do think there's kind of like a clean working and a not clean working. And for whatever reason, for me, I can get on that run and just enjoy it and it invigorates me versus some other kind of work where I'm kind of gloomy and it brings me down and I feel exhausted. And I think it's kind of an image. It's not a perfect image, but it's kind of an image of what it, the difference between doing things in Christ and doing things on your own. If you're getting tired doing the work, take a moment and say, Lord, are you in this? Are we in this together or is this just me? And listen, God will lead you. He will nourish you. He will empower you to do the things that he wants you to do. And maybe you're going to let some people down and you're going to say no to some things. Maybe you're going to let me down saying no to things here. But maybe you'll find that you're actually able to say yes to some things that you never thought were possible because you're saying no to others and because you're letting Jesus carry you instead of you carrying it all yourself. So, two things that I invite you to do. Pray that God would give you that perspective of him. Oh, wait, okay. Pray that the Lord would give you that perspective of him, that right view of him, that he's for you, that he's on your team, that he's going to do the heavy lifting, that he loves you, that he cares about you, that he's powerful, that he's capable, that he's wise. Pray for that perspective. Say, Lord, I can't try harder to think of you this way, but I can try less, and you can work through me to think of you this way. And then number two, Jesus, what do you want me to do, and what do you want me to not do for your glory?
Those two questions, I'm going to give you some space to ask them now. But I would invite you to ask them regularly of God. Pray those things regularly of the Lord. And I think, I believe, this is a belief that I have, a conviction that I have, that there's no church that's lacking the resources it needs to do what God wants it to do. Okay? I believe that. There's no church that's lacking the resources to do what God wants it to do. What we need to do is we need to find out what God wants us to do, and we need to let him empower us to do it. Right? And it goes back to those two questions. What do you want us to do? What do you want us to not do? And then give us the perspective that you're for us, that you love us, that you're big enough and strong enough to do everything that you want us to do. So let's pray. When we're done praying, uh, actually, let me do this. You pray, and then Ileana's going to pray for us. Then we're going to have some announcements, and then we're going to close in a song. All right? All right, so I'm going to invite you to pray now. church um i'm just overwhelmed how um god speaks to us so clearly um i was praying this morning i was supposed to pray earlier and the things that god put in my heart have just poured through everybody that stood up here today so I praise God for that because it's confirmation that what he had placed in my heart is what he had for us. So um, praise God with me. And um, one of the things that, um, that when I was praying, um, God put in my heart was um, a scripture um, Stephen asked, uh, and, and this is a, a, a tiny bit of the story. Um, one night I was pressed to, to read in Philippians. This is almost a year ago. I think it was like last October. And um, Beth had told me, okay, Steve has a, a, a scripture he wants you to read. And I had no clue because I had not communicated with him. So anyway, God had pressed in my heart to, to read Philippians the night before. And... Um, as I was reading, I, I stopped, I, I, was, I, I got to Philippians 2, and when I came here the next day, the passage was Philippians 3, and, uh, and I was just in, in awe, and, and I've been thinking about that a lot, and, and, um, and it's just, I want you to hear it, and um, it, it's pressing on, and leaning on, and, and just resting on, and pulling from the resources that we have in Christ. It's just us walking into that, into what he has. Whatever we can do for the kingdom, it's from him, not from us. So it's Philippians 3, 10 to 16, and this is the NIV version. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, 
becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all these, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that of which, for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called, for which um, Christ has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things, and if at some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what He, what we have already attained. Jesus Christ did it for us, and He's just calling us to just lean onto all those resources and just rest on Him and, and just keep the faith. And, and there are some times where it's difficult, but even when it's difficult, just let's rest on him, and he will do what he only can do. So let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord God, for, for your word. We thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit right here today, Lord God, and everything that you have been doing, Lord Throughout all this time, Lord God, even I think back of um, when you gave this word, I think of what you've been doing, Lord God, that sometimes we don't notice, Lord. So we pray that you awaken us and make us aware of what you're doing in our midst, Lord God. As the, day go by, the days go by, Lord God, the months go by, help us to, to lean on you, to rest in you. To just take a hold, Father, of what has been made available to us in Christ Jesus. And to move forward with these things, Lord God, as we remain focused in Jesus Christ. Guide us, Lord God, this week and help us to walk in your ways, Lord God, with the strength that you supply us, Lord God, through your spirit. We thank you for these things, Lord God, and we pray that we do not forget, Lord. Pierce the hardened parts of our hearts with the word you give us, Lord God, day in and day out. That everything that we share together, that we participate of together, Lord, It's a spring of living water in our hearts that permeates our lives and the lives of those around us for the kingdom and for your glory, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.